Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. This next hour, we study the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is your light. And as we walk in this light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What a joy to be with you this morning, and the light shines on us today from Ephesians chapter 4. I've gone through it many times in my life, studied it many times in seminary, and I love the words. Paul confesses boldly, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. It's like a creed that he confesses that we still confess today. And he shows us that that grace, our common salvation in Christ, is yours, and he gives us more to do. Relevant in the first century and relevant today. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us today Pastor Dan Eddy of Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. Pastor Eddy, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor, and amen to your opening statement. Preach it, preacher. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, this is the first time for me, Pastor Eddie, is the first time I've had a guest that has the same name of my church, Messiah Lutheran Church. What do you think of that? I think that's great. It's a great title for great churches, great congregations. Absolutely. And one of the, the joys is, you know, sometimes you'll read a, a name of a church, and I'm not giving an example because it's not fair to do that. I'm not trying to criticize anybody. But when you have a Messiah Lutheran church, you know that they are about Jesus. That's what I love about the founding fathers and, and mothers of our of my congregation. Any any um any thoughts on that? All I can just say is amen to that. But uh, also, <laughs> too, if you think about it, any church that's called Christ Lutheran Church is basically the same title. It's just True. coming in from the Greek into English as opposed to Hebrew into English. So we have a Christ Lutheran Church in Clinton, about uh, 10 miles from Beloit, and I tell my members that's basically the same name for the church. That's true. That's very true. That's a that's a great insight, Pastor. Thank you for that. Now, Pastor Eddie, we know each other. We've known each other for quite a while. Um, but this is our first time together on Thy Strong Word. And I know you've been on before, but we have new listeners all the time. I just mentioned this yesterday that we had a, a, a listener that called uh, that wrote in from Hong Kong, even. And so it's they're from around the world. And so I'd like for you to maybe introduce yourself a little bit and also the work of the saints at Messiah. Uh, thank you very much uh, for, first of all, inviting me to be on the program. I've been a pastor for uh, 12 years class of 2008, I guess going on 13 years. I'm a second career pastor, spent over 20 years in, in communications and broadcasting, most of that in advertising sales. And then in, um, over the years, as I got married and, and the great congregation of members at St. Paul Lutheran in Rockford, Illinois, really encouraged me to go into the ministry. And so I was at Concordia Seminary roughly about the same time you were, 2004 mm-hmm. to 2007, then did a convertible vicarage out in Situate, Massachusetts, at a Christ Lutheran church there. And nice. great congregation was there for nine years. And then I was called back to my hometown here of Beloit, Wisconsin, 
and I'm serving in the next closest congregation to where I grew up. Uh, St. John's here in Beloit is where I grew up. I went to uh, the parochial school there when it was open uh, in the 70s and, uh, um, and then came back as close as you can get to your home church. Uh, a lot of people here knew of me but didn't know me personally and vice versa. You know, They knew my mom or my dad or my brothers or they knew my wife who grew up here through sixth grade. And so it was a great congregation to come uh, for my second call. I've been here since 2016. Fantastic uh, congregation here at Messiah Lutheran Church. That's a, you know, if there was an award, I don't know if there's an, there's not an award, but it'd be a fun award to, to be at a call that's the closest to the church you grew up at, but not be at the church of which you grew up at as your current call. I think you might win that award if there was one. Well, thank you. I would probably put it on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It is, uh, it's a joy to have you on um, this morning. And as we look at Ephesians 4 and we dig into God's Word, I encourage everybody to open up your Bibles. And as Pastor Eddie has many great insights, that if you have any questions for us this morning concerning our text, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor, as we begin our time in God's Word, can you begin us in prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing on our time? Absolutely. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, through your Son, your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. By the power of the Holy Spirit, empower our study of your Word this morning. Through careful reading and listening and learning, so we may inwardly digest your word for strength and faith, increased understanding, careful discernment, and application for living your word. So we may walk by faith and not by sight in order that others may see and hear our good works, but give you the glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our suffering servant, Savior, and Lord. Amen. Amen. I love how you, you, you said this twice already, and, and you said it just there, but to him be all the glory, and then you ended with amen, which is exactly what leads up to chapter 4. It's a prayer for strength that Paul has as the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. And now we get to chapter 4, and so the other, other um, introductory or background contextual thoughts that you have to help us as we dig into these words? Structurally, it's amazing how Ephesians is organized. Uh, hmm. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, I would use an analogy, uh, Jesus' analogy at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that we are learning about the rock on which our foundation, uh, our faith is founded on, okay? And in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, we're, we're dealing with some pretty heavy doctrine here, the doctrine of election, which is to hmm. comfort us in knowing that we do nothing to earn salvation. It is given to the elect. Uh, we look at the depths of our sins and the, how transgressions, how we are dead uh, before God by ourselves. We see the powerful presence of grace creating the object of faith that saves us through no effort of our own. Uh, we, we have the connection between faith and good works. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, described uh, God sees us as his workmanship, his handiwork, if you will. And then, you know, just in case we want to think we figured God all out, 
chapter 3 delves into the mysteries of God, that we, we, we put our trust in him, not always having all our T's dotted, or excuse me, T's crossed and our I's dotted. And, mm-hmm. and that brings us up to chapters 4, 5, and 6. Uh, now we're going to build that house of faith. You know, chapters 1 through 3 is mainly the justified life in Christ, as we Lutherans call it. Verse, uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6 look at the sanctified life in Christ. Now it's building that house, and, and Paul gives us uh, how to do it, the, the materials to do it, uh, the talents to do it, so that our, our salvation and our faith as we live it is built on the rock of Jesus. Oh, that's a great overview, because I've heard similar language as that, and it's very helpful because in chapter 4, there is definitely a connection of the doctrine and practice, if I can I don't want to say it necessarily that way, but the, the, the faith of which is all founded upon and how it manifests in our in our lives, not only in church, but our vocations. I mean, that's, that's a great—it's almost like all of 1 through 3 and 4 through 6 all kind of encompasses our verses that we have today as I think about it. So it's, it's really, that's a wonderful overview as Paul is trying to point us, obviously, back to Christ. So let's begin. Are you ready? Yes. Let's do it. All right. Reminder to our listeners, open up your Bibles, and we are reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. So we're going to begin with verses 1 through 3. And Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with another, one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A lot is said there. What are your thoughts? First of all, it seems like Paul is emphatic when he's describing himself as a prisoner, but at the same time, it's because of where he's at in writing this letter that there's a sense of urgency and that he wants the Ephesians to really live this faith. Uh, it isn't that they haven't been, because Ephesus, quite frankly, in my opinion, was one of the most successful New Testament churches in terms of spin-off congregations, a number of converts, but I, I don't think he wants them to get derailed. Sometimes with growth comes problems, uh, disunity, uh, and so I think Paul says, look, I want you to stay on the track here, and here's how you can do it. So that And, and, and he wants to make sure that they don't uh, succumb to the Greco-Roman culture where pride was seen as more a more valuable virtue quote unquote than humility and and he wants to make sure that the the roughness of the culture is not does not rub off on them so you have gentleness patience in here and kind of the way I look at the first four verses here is uh, imagine you have a mixing bowl, and the mixing bowl is round. And when we think of the circle, we think of God, never having a beginning, never having an end. So God is the bowl, and inside the bowl, uh, the Holy Spirit helps us to add ingredients like humility and gentleness, and then they're mixed. And then patience is mixed in. And the mixing spool spoon that is used is love. That's what mixes all of this together. And the final dish inside of this bowl is peace. And if you miss any of these ingredients, they're not, or if they're not mixed right, you don't get a dish that tastes good. You get something that's distasteful in, in terms of uh, our relationship to God and each other in his church. 
Well, now I'm getting hungry. It's not that close to lunch, but uh, thank you for that. No, that, that is a great way to put it together, especially today as he's talking about really the body of Christ, building each other up and seeing that all beginning with God. I mean, that was wonderfully put together, a wonderful children's message that you just um, mentioned to us as well. Now, these attributes, I can't help but read them and, and think of two things. Number one is Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, mm. that, mm. that this yeah. humility and gentleness and patience, as you said so well, is, it mi- is mixed in there, not by drumming it up within ourselves, but by the power of God through his gifts of the Holy Spirit that comes, um, comes upon us. He pours it into our hearts, and then therefore he gives us it to us, to us as a gift. Any thoughts on the fruit of the Spirit and the connection here? Well, yes, there is a great parallel uh, there and and the application for our culture is uh, just as I think in many ways we're like the Greco-Roman culture of Paul's day, except you know we're on the back end of it uh, in kind of a post-Christian era, uh, and and today the humility doesn't have a high price in our culture. You know, uh, you people take pride. You don't beg for forgiveness. Uh, uh, you know, you you, you want to always be opposing something. Peace. That's for wimps, you know, and so we see this, and uh, and Paul knew this when, you know, talking whether to the church at Ephesus or the church at Galatia, but also note that after our text, he talks about the bad fruit, just as he did in uh, Galatians chapter right. 5, you know, the bad fruit being uh, sensualism and sexual immorality and, and, and hatred toward one another and not willing to forgive one another. So it's interesting the parallels between Galatians 5 and 6 and Ephesians 4 and 5. That is great. And I did challenge our listeners. I did have one person write in that he had written some articles about the connection of all of Paul's epistles. But I did challenge our listeners, if you want to write a two-page paper, maybe send it to Pastor Eddie of the connections of Ephesians and Galatians, and we'll be set. Um, But you're right, there's a very deep connection between the two, because in and he talks about the when he talks about the Gentiles. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't say like, well, they're not as good. No, he's like they have darkened hearts and they are into sensuality and greed and practice and impurity. And you can't also uh, help but think about the connections to today, that humility is not seen necessarily as a virtue. You want to be seen as strong and as somebody who has it all together. Gentleness is not seen as something of a virtue. It's seen as something that you have to be tough and rugged and and push your way through everything. I mean, and patience is not a virtue, especially on Twitter. Um, it is to act now. And he's, re- he's speaking countercultural then. And he's speaking countercultural today. Any thoughts? Well, and the word for meek uh, or gentleness is the root, same root word used in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit the earth. And people oh, yeah. think of gentleness or meekness as weakness, but actually the way I understand the Greek term, uh, it, it, it refers to kind of like a harness strength. You know, and the way I've I've explained it is without meekness or gentleness, you're like an unbridled horse. You're just you're a danger to yourself and you're a danger to others. But when you allow uh, God through the power of his word to harness you, you know, a harnessed horse is a beautiful horse. You know, when they race in the Kentucky Derby or, you know, they're they're powerful at pulling wagons or or farm implements, uh, you know, before the era of tractors and that sort of thing. And so um, and that's kind of get gets lost in our culture, but really uh, gentleness is a harness strength. 
That is that is a, a great way to look at this. And finally, as we look at this and as we look at all of Scripture, we know in the Bible, as Jesus says in John five thirty nine, that you pour through the Scriptures because you think it is about, um, you know, it's about uh, about them. Um, that by them you may be saved, but the Scriptures are about me. So how can we not look at humility, gentleness? patience, bearing with one another, and eager to maintain unity and not see Jesus, because obviously that is what he all encompasses and all that he does. Any last thoughts on the first three verses, Pastor? Yes, and because the word love will come up again. It's mm. in, And you know this, and probably most people that study Scripture, but it, it bears uh, reminding people, this is agape love that is in this text, this unconditional, undeserved love that can only come from God, as opposed to, what is it, philos uh, or affection, uh, the other type mm-hmm. of love, um, which is more of a conditional love, if you really think about it. Uh, a, a philos type love is you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's a quid pro quo type love. This is mm-hmm. not the love that, that's being described here. It's describing the unconditional love, love we don't deserve, but is given to us by God because he first loved us, and then we express it to each other because we first received it from him. Wonderful. What a great a great connection for us to dig into the next three verses. I'm going to go through verses four through six. There's a lot to be looked near, and I really encourage our listeners for you um, to look at this and think, what, you know, what is, what is Paul foundational things, not only for them, but also for us, about God himself and the gifts that he gives? Verses four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These verses, it can't help but think of 1 Corinthians 15, where it is like you're, you're confessing a creed. Um, that he mm-hmm. was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures, appeared to 500 people, those kind of things. And and here, I mean, it is he is he is he's laying it out. We had um, Todd, Dr. Tom Winger on. And we've had other people talk about you know this the shrine to Artemis, this big building that when the Ephesians would would go to worship in their home wherever they would walk. I mean, they saw idolatry. They saw what people thought was God or the many gods. But here he speaks so clearly to remind them. Yep, that's big. That's wonderful but let's focus in on the true God. Any thoughts on the clear confession that Paul gives here? Well, it's interesting here because you almost have uh, the the start of the third article of the Apostles' Creed. You know, I believe in the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, or if you want to go to the more detailed version in the Nicene Creed or Luther's explanation of the third article of the Apostles' Creed, you can see where these verses really back up that part of, of the creed. Uh, and it's interesting because throughout the book of Ephesians, this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is spoken of often, um, mm. you know, in, in terms of describing God the Father's will as spoken through His Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, and it reminds me of something where I used to do in a new member class, and I still do, when we, we had new member, new member class. Interestingly, during the pandemic, we actually picked up eight new members. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, and so, so it's a little harder to do this online. But in person, what I would do is I would write on a piece of paper, I love Dunkin' Donuts. 
and then I would give it to a person who would either speak it into the ear of a third person who would then shout it to the room, I love Dunkin' Donuts, or the second person would take a microphone and would say, I love Dunkin' Donuts, and I'd say, you love Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah. You know, the third person, you love Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah. I do. Well, it's my will as you spoke it, and so that, and, and it was empowered when somebody shouted it to all the people, and that's kind of the, uh, it's, it's a crude analogy, but it kind of shows you the relationship, uh, a, a simple relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, all I can say to the I Love Dunkin' Donuts is amen. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly right how the, um, how the Holy Spirit gives us the truth, and then we confess that truth, and that truth continues to go out um, well, to the ends of the earth, as we would say. Um, any, other, any other thoughts on the, he, he uses the word one six times. Uh, it's, it's very, very obvious that he wants to make a very clear understanding of who is God, who are you, and how does he work? Any thoughts on the connections and the, the oneness? I don't know how to exactly say it. Any thoughts on that? Yes, because uh, he did not want Jews and Gentiles to be Jews and Gentiles. He wanted them to think of themselves as one in Christ. So that, that's the first, I think, emphasis of why he, you know, one body okay, mm-hmm. uh, is, I, is I think that, look, we want you to stop thinking of yourselves as us versus them, this is versus that. Um, then the other thing is the one baptism. Uh, the one baptism really has application for today, because I'll have people come in and say, well, I was baptized Catholic. No, you weren't baptized Catholic. Or, or I was baptized in the Baptist. No, you, you, know, you, you were baptized into Christ Church. You weren't baptized Lutheran. You weren't baptized Presbyterian or Methodist or Catholic. You were baptized into Christ Church. And it shows us that, that unity doesn't come with ecumenical councils. Unity comes only by the hand and the power of God's Word. That is, that's a good reminder for all of us, is to use more Jesus language when we talk about faith, you know? Because um, we can say, well, I have faith. Well, the, the, everyone has faith in something. I mean, you know, yeah. whether it's faith in politics, or faith in this, or faith in your spouse, or faith in whatever. The question is, what do you have faith in? And as Christians, whether different denominations, is good for us to have more Jesus talk, if you will, that I'm baptized into Christ, that I, I confirm my faith in Christ, that um, I just took communion up, or, uh, that I was uh, forgiven by Christ. Uh, those kind of things are very, very important. Um, any thoughts on that and the clear confession that we need even today of the clear well, confession, all I, confession all I of faith? Is, is I agree with you. In fact, you know, if you get done with the sermon, you have to ask yourself, you know, when you're listening to a sermon, how often was the name of Jesus mentioned? How long, how often was Christ mentioned? And you'd be amazed at, at in many Christian churches how not even the proper name of God, Yahweh, or the Lord is even mentioned, but it's God, 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 God. Nothing wrong with that, because God, is that's his title, and he's the only <laughs> one that has it. But it yeah. could be confusing in a world where where other religions recognize, you know, God. They don't call him Yahweh. They don't recognize Jesus as God. And so I think that I think you're very right on, on using more of the Christology uh, sort of language. I, I think that that is needed. I think the other thing here too is one of the things that Paul is mentoring here, and we'll see this in now the the verses that follow, 
is that um, when we have the gospel as the center of our preaching, okay, and from that gospel we're convicted of our sins, but also from that gospel we're given a sanctified way to live that life, if you do not have that central gospel message centered in one baptism, one Lord, and one faith, then everything that proceeds from this verse on sounds like moral platitudes or mm. exhortations with you know where where people feel like well they're being preached at rather than allowing preaching to be proclaimed so that you recognize that the the Lord is taking the faith that he's given you so that you can live for him not see your faith as a bunch of rules and regulations and that is so hard. Um, it's so difficult because we want to know, and we've talked about this a lot in Ephesians, we want to know what we can do. We want to know the want to know the rules. We want to know what do I need to believe? What are the either bare minimums or what's the part that I'm going to be saying, well, at least I'm doing better than that person over there. And, and, and the gospel message, as you said so well, is that it's done. I mean, it's been done for you. And uh, how do we make sure we confess that clearly in a world that wants everything to be unclear, I would argue, um, and then in a world that's very messy, uh, where you need that clear con uh, confession of faith to understand who we are and, uh, and what he does for us. So any, any last thoughts before we go to the next verses? No, I think that's good. I, I like okay. uh, the, the, this is very important because if we don't really understand verses 1 through 6, then 7 through 16 will not make sense to us. Absolutely. So let's do this. We have about two minutes before our break. So I'm going to read this, get some very introductory thoughts, and then we'll pick up more on the other side. So verses 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts of men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Who has, who has ascended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So, grace was given to each one of us. What was this grace, Pastor? Well, saving grace was given to each one of us. And then from that grace, we are given talents and, and abilities by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're given to it in relation to uh, members or parts of the body of Christ. So everyone's giving saving grace, but then that grace upon that grace, uh, it, it varies by individual. And it, it varies by the will, excuse me, the will of the Holy Spirit. It varies by your time in life, your congregational context. And that is at least being introduced here uh, in verse 7. And that's important, too, because you, you read and hear the words in John chapter 1, where it says, and from his fullness, and that's a language that's used often in Ephesians, too, his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. That this is a grace that just doesn't come one time, but it continually comes, and it's like just, I don't know how to use, I want to use a food analogy here, because we're on a roll when it comes to food this morning. Um, but somehow, how do you get grace upon grace, like uh, whipped cream upon ice cream upon a cherry, or upon, how, how, how would this look in food? What do you think? <laughs> 
Well, here's the thing. Part of faith is understanding that, um, you know, it may, may be very easy to say, well, it seems like that guy's got more talents than I do, so God must love him more. And it doesn't work that way. Uh, in fact, the Sermon on the Mount kind of leveled that playing field because, because the thinking in the ancient world was, if I've got more stuff, I've got more land, and I've got more things, then God loves me more than he loves you. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. No, it doesn't work that way. And so remember, it's by the, uh, was it First Corinthians 12, verse 11, as the Spirit mm-hmm. directs. So there may be times in life where our God, God may give me more talents. Then later in life, he may say, no, I'm going to give you fewer, but the few I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a really deep um, expression of those talents. And I think that's important. He gives us ordinary gifts, you know, uh, proclamation, you know, administration, that sort of thing. Our 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 congregation here is very good at hosting meals. We do fish fries before the pandemic and spaghetti mm-hmm. dinners. And our people are we, we we're a neighborhood church, and this is something that uh, we're we are re relearning here. Uh, and Absolutely. people come in, and we sit and we listen to them, and we get to know them. And as we get to know them, we develop a relationship, uh, and from that relationship, we invite them to be a part of our fellowship here at Messiah. And this congregation congregation has done a beautiful uh, job of that. And uh, even during the pandemic, we still have people reaching out to each other in, in various ways. And so there, that's our gifts and talents. Now, that may not be the church down the street's gifts and talents. Maybe there's is uh, maybe there's is supporting lots of foreign missions. I mean, we support two missionaries. Maybe they have enough gifts to support six or seven. You know, so everybody's got to assess what they're good at, what the Holy Spirit has given them. Absolutely. On that note, we need to take a break. We are studying Ephesians chapter 4 with Pastor Dan Eddy, and we'll be right back. In 2020, the world was blindsided. At the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, we quickly refocused on how to best serve the church. Our COVID-19 response team took action, reaching out and listening to our borrowers. In response, we offered a number of financial remedies that allowed our borrowers time to stabilize. We also provided online streaming kits for churches, gift cards for food pantries, financial support for LCMS church workers, and much more. Life's not yet back to normal, and that's why we're still here for you. Visit lcef.org to learn more. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. Each week, Sing for Joy brings you inspiring choral music of the church selected to fit the season. Half an hour of something beautiful and meaningful. Join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news.
Welcome back. We're studying Ephesians chapter 4 with Pastor Dan Eddy of Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. As Pastor Eddy said so well before, that we have one common salvation, one gift of grace, which is through Christ and his cross. And that grace he gives to us, he, we are able to extend in our own vocations and in our own ways. And what we've been doing uh, Pastor Eddie, from uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been asking people, what are you doing when you're listening to thy strong word? We've had many people talk about that they are doing dishes or that they're exercising. And one of them came from Sri Lanka, of all places. And this was from a missionary family, Martha Malberg in Sri Lanka. And she said, uh, I listen to it first thing in the morning. She's a, um, I guess you could say, an on-demand listener. She downloads a podcast, listens when she's able, and she gets her water bottles filled, coffee prepared, plants are being watered, which I'm amazed at her schedule. And then she w- has her children wake up for morning devotions. The whole time she is hearing God's word. And here's the key is that she says, I find that when I begin my day in God's word, my day goes better and with more grace. Any thoughts on that, Pastor? That is exactly the devotional life that I encourage among our members, and I would agree with that. If I don't do my morning devotions, my day drags. Um, Yesterday was my day off, and I was out walking and listening to your broadcast yesterday. I was listening live. Uh, But yeah, praise be to God for podcasting, because that's how I'm doing a lot of my audio listening uh, these days. Wonderful. And and this is a reminder to our listeners that we have missionaries all around the world. Um, And Stephen and Martha Malberg and their family are in Sri Lanka. If you want more information about what they're doing, go to www.lcms.org backslash Malberg, M-A-H-L-B-U-R-G, lcms.org, Malberg. So it's just a lot of fun to hear what God is up to around the world, whether it's Messiah Lutheran Churches in America or it is around the world as well. But I think we're going to make a transition here. We're going to move on from verses, verse 10. We've talked about the grace, and he makes it very clear that the gifts that are given come from Jesus. He quotes uh, Psalm 68 to get that point across, and he moves forward here in verses 11 through uh, 13 and speaks about kind of how this gets manifested, how it gets proclaimed, and the gift, I would argue, of pastors upon God's people. So let's continue in verses 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up in the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, we could we could keep going, but I think I'm going to end there. He speaks about all these apostles, prophets, all of this. What is Paul talking about here? Well, the apostles would be the, as he says in chapter 2, they're the foundation, okay? Mm -hmm. All of the church is the 12 apostles and Paul are are that, and they're all traced back to our our New Testament canonized books, um, and and we know from church history this is the foundation. Uh, So uh, I guess there are apostles in in this day and age in that they're specially sent, but they're not Apostles with a capital A, you know, one of the original 12 plus Paul, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the prophets, it's a very interesting term, because prophets, uh, you know, is this a predictive prophecy? Is this a proclamation-type prophet? Is this a prophet offering insight? 
And I believe those, uh, certainly the ordinary gifts of a prophet still exist. You and I, in a way, are prophets with a small p when we proclaim from the pulpit. And I think there are mm-hmm. prophets today that offer insight into the future. When I looked at this, I thought about when I was growing up at St. John's, uh, how people were predicting what our future would be like. And we're like, no, America would never go down that route. We would never, uh, you know, ha- have that happen. And then look at today, uh, you know, how much our society has changed in 40 years. There were prophets, so to speak, that 40 years ago could see these trends coming. You know, I believe the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, they may not have predicted uh, day and event. So those, uh, I think, exist uh, to today to one degree or another. Mm. Okay. And and as we look at this, is is that real foundational focus here of the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, the apostles, and he speaks about that, and it is, it is all uh, focused on the Word of God. You know, what does the Word have to say, and how is that proclaimed among the people? And this is foundational to the unity that they have. Now, I want to take one step back here a little bit. What was the, he speaks a lot about unity and oneness here? What was the problem in the Ephesian church? Do you have any any insights on that for um, why he speaks so much about unity and and why the need for it? I, I don't have any unique insights other than that. I'm sure that uh, the Christians there had to wrestle with uh, what Scripture was saying versus what their culture was saying. And, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to allow the outside world to affect the way you conduct yourself as Christians, and uh, both inside the church and when you leave the church, how you conduct yourselves in everyday lives. I mean, look at, a, look at how many surveys we've seen among Americans where you can't tell the difference between the Christians and the non-Christians, and that's a problem if you, in, if you can't. And my guess is that that was, a, that was a problem in the church at Ephesus as it was with many of the New Testament churches. Absolutely. Yeah. And you see that dynamic of the Jews and Gentiles and what does the world say? What does, what did I grow up maybe quote believing? Uh, what does, uh, what does my neighbor tell me I should believe? And all of that comes into play as we come into one place, as you said so well, not as Jew or Gentiles or as ones, but as ones baptized into Christ. And this is where he brings it back together in verse 13, because there's a lot of questions about what is apostles, prophets, evangelists. We would point that to um, the office of the ministry, but why do we have this? And the, the goal of it is to attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So we would see this as as that God has given us these uh, the, the the pastors and and workers in the vineyard for the sake of the unity of of us by bringing the gifts of Christ. Thoughts on that? Well, and and the last two terms in in verse eleven, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for we're shepherds in in the Greek where we get the word pastors and dinakalos. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we get teachers. And, and there's some that say that really uh, Paul meant to put those together as shepherd teachers. Uh, but we know hmm. that there are pastors that are kind of better overseers and some pastors that are better teachers. I mean, uh, to me, it's one half dozen than the other, whether you want to see those terms as separate or together. But you see the narrowing. You go from the broad apostles and prophets, evangelists. You're thinking right. outreach, outreach. Right. And then the shepherds and teachers, as, as we're going to focus now on what's happening inside of the church. How well are we teaching doctrine inside of the church, and what happens
happens when we don't. I think that's going to follow here in the verses you're about to read. Right, and I want to I want to hit one thing here in verse twelve, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up the body of Christ. This this is very important, I think, for our world today as well. Any what are, what are your first thoughts on what he is saying? The goal, I'd say, of ministry and the body of Christ. It's equipping, outfitting the saints. By the way, a term he uses very often in this, agios, uh, the holy ones, the saints, uh, the, the, the uh, consecrated people. Uh, and that's how he's identifying believers here, okay? Now, he wants to make sure that they act like that, so you've got to <laughs> equip them so that when they go out in the world, uh, that, that, that they don't bring back into the world something that tears down the body of Christ, but builds up the body of Christ. So here's an analogy I would use. You know, the, the preaching station, the office of public ministry, should be the ones that uh, takes a farmer, gives them the clothes, the tools, and the equipment to go out into the field to gather the harvest to put in the storage bins, you know, so the, the Lord of the Harvest, to borrow Matthew 9 and Luke 10 imagery. And, and so what the Office of Public Ministry has to do is equip people to do that. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're not going to have that body of Christ built up like it could be built up. And that's very helpful because it's all founded on the Word of God. And I find it find it interesting too is the building up of the body of Christ, and and that's something I'm and I'm really on a journey of thinking of what that looks like, especially in COVID. Do you have any um, uh, ways of how we see this in our world today? Uh, you know, I'm 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 really kind of struggling. What does the body of Christ look like in today's world? Any thoughts on that? It's when your ministries inside of your church are working together toward a common cause. One of the things that is a real challenge in our churches today is you get so fragmented that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And, mm. and so we started looking at visioning here at Messiah before the pandemic, and we'll, we are picking up on it as we head out of the pandemic, in that everything that we do has to have more than just that committee doing it. You know, so we do our fish fries. Yes, the evangelism committee is the one that organizes it, but the elders are involved. They're going around and they're meeting the people as they're sitting in the pews, okay? Um, the, uh, the, the council is involved in making sure, for example, buildings and grounds are our facilities the best that they can be. Uh, we restriped our parking lot because we have beautiful parking facilities here so that we could get as many people in the door as possible. You know, so we're, we're connecting all of the, the parts of, of the church to a fellowship, you know, got involved. You know, they put together a bake sale table and, and, and another way to meet people uh, during our fish rice. So we just didn't see it as that's the evangelism event, but it, it's a Messiah Lutheran event. And you got to mm. have all those parts working together. Otherwise, what happens is you'll meet people, but then who's going to follow up on them? Um, or um, you know, what, could our could our facilities be organized better? It, they all have to kind of work together, and that's the body of Christ. Think about it. First uh, Corinthians twelve: the eye can't say to the hand, "I don't need you," and the hand can't say to the eye, "I don't need you." You need both. You need that coordination. Think about that. A well, a well, uh, uh, fitnessed body uh, has to be coordinated. And mm. if a church is not coordinated, then it's going to go off in five different directions, and it's not going to function properly. 
That's that's very profound. I'm thinking of this. Uh, Pastor Eddie and I uh, served as a field worker in North St. Louis at Bethlehem Lutheran Church. And one of the ways that this gets manifested, and I remember this distinctly, at, at Bethlehem Lutheran Church, is that every time that Pastor Schmicky would begin the service or whenever people would give an announcement, they would always start this way. Good morning, Bethlehem. <laughs> and it was always a, a connection that when you are here, this is a, 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 the body of Christ. This is a family atmosphere, not a family. And, and there's good parts of, you know, there's parts of being a family that's quite messy. And that's very true in the church is that, you know, you don't come here because everything is perfect or that the fish fry is perfectly put together because Lord have mercy. We know something always happens. But you, it's like a family where you're able to say we are a Messiah family, that we are whatever the name of your church is. It's not a family of... um of just just people, but it's it's a family grounded, and it says here so well in verse thirteen is you know verse twelve says the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith. Obviously, that goes to doctrine and the knowledge and the mature manhood, peoplehood, the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. That what brings us together is the fullness of Christ, um, um, God and man, um, dead and risen. Uh, you know, cross and empty tomb. Go down the whole list. When you know that fullness, you are able to look at each other in a whole different way as a family, um, Messiah or Bethlehem or whatever the name of your church is. Last thoughts before we get to the last few verses. The word for knowledge in the text is not gnosko, where we normally think of it. Am I saying that right, gnosko? My, my Greek mm-hmm. is not always the best. But it actually mm-hmm. uses yeah. a word called pigonosis, I believe is how hmm. you say it. And it's a knowledge taken to heart. It isn't just an intellectual knowledge. You know, I, I tell people that, you know, the, the lexicons and the academic books we use, I said, I said, you know, a lot of them are put together by people who don't believe, that don't have faith, but it's good, it's good um, our, uh, uh, academic material. I said, uh, and it, that's actually an apologetic for when people say, well, you know, your lectionaries for your Greek and Hebrew are biased. Well, <laughs> a lot of them are put together by agnostics and atheists. I don't know if you know that. Uh, I said, <laughs> it's knowledge. They they know probably more about the Bible knowledge-wise than I do, but this is not the knowledge being talked about here. This is knowledge taken to heart. And one mm-hmm. of the things I love about um, whether Christians here at Messiah or Bethlehem or wherever I've had a chance to serve is that uh, I've noticed that there are a few people that maybe, yeah, maybe they don't know their Bible from beginning to end, but what they do know, they believe, they live, and it shows it isn't just knowledge for knowledge's sake. It is knowledge connected to your faith and lived out in mature uh, in maturity. Wow. And it, it really comes down to, I had a funeral recently, and we ended the funeral with, Jesus loves me, this I know. And it is so foundational that what what what's going to save us is the love of Jesus. <laughs> and 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 it, it struck me because usually I'll end with more of an Easter hymn or something but the the situation um really was appropriate for us to end with that just for the simple proclamation to people sitting in the pews and the simple hope that this person would have had was in those simple words that Jesus loves me this I know and that takes all the wisdom of the world as Paul talks about in first Corinthians and it smashes it because that is our hope and that is a hope for eternity let's move on to the last few verses 14 through 16 as it is he is he uncovers even more of what we are called to do as Christian people verse 14 so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, make the body grow, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, Pastor, in verses, verse 14, it talks about a lot of kind of crazy words. And Paul, Paul, Paul has a unique way of speaking, but uh, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. What is he speaking about here? Well, it's very easy. Uh, when we, <laughs> we do not know our word, ignorance of the word is uh, one of the prime ingredients that Satan uses to dislodge our faith from our Lord. And we have, and you and me in our lifetime, we've seen a lot of cunning and craftiness and deceitfulness. I mean, everything from the Bible contains the Word of God. You know, I have more credit with somebody just says, you know what, not all of the Bible is God's Word. But that's there are churches, some, some of them that call themselves Lutheran, that have believed that. And so it's mm-hmm. a crafty way to say, yeah, you know, Paul said that, but he was homophobic, so that doesn't really apply. Or Paul didn't like women, we think, so that doesn't apply. And it's amazing, over the last 50 or 60 years, as, as people who proclaim the Bible contains the Word of God, but not all of it is the Word of God, how much uh, less and less the Bible contains the Word of God, as it doesn't fit with popularity polls, um, as, as uh, what we say in the Bible becomes more disconnected with our culture. And then you get people to say, well, is the Bible meant to be taken symbolically or literally? And when people ask me that, I say, yes. And they say, well, which is it? I said, we take it contextually, just as I'm sure you want your words taken contextually if I were to quote you. And then people are like, oh, yeah, I get that. You know, in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, people say, well, that's, those are myths. That's not a historic narrative. Or Noah and Abraham or Moses weren't real people. And just these little ways to try to chip away at the truth of Scripture so that people will question the truth that Scripture speaks so that they can be more comfortable in saying, well, we should accept a different definition of marriage or a wider definition or, or um, you know, we shouldn't be so much against abortion and euthanasia or, you know, you know, really, um, uh, you know, we, we, if people try to put Christ in a box when it comes to baptism or communion. It's only symbolic. They take away the mysterious elements of what he does and how he does it. I mean, we see this over and over and over, even with lines like, well, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I had somebody mm-hmm. tell me that one time. I said, you know what? So am I. And they saw I had a pastor's collar on, and they looked at me, and I tell them, a religion can't save you. Oh, and by the way, Satan is spiritual, too. And you, you get them, they're like, whoa, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> but uh, uh, hopefully that was speaking the truth in love. I, I think they took it that way. But uh, all of this is how we are it's undermining what the, what we preach from the pulpit and we have to remind our members that uh, of of how satan is using our culture to unlodge our faith from jesus and that that's very profound it reminds me of paul's second letter to timothy for the time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine but having their itching ears they will accumulate mm. for themselves teachers to mm-hmm. suit their own passions which mm-hmm. and and here is good for for you for you our listeners is that when we talk about this, 
is that we are all um, tempted by this every single day, pastors, people, um, everybody, because there are a lot of things that the culture will say that our ears will be like, oh, that sounds pretty good. You know, actually, that's not so bad. You know, it's all about love or um, you hear other language like the Bible contains the word of God. And then you have to determine, you know, what is the slippery slope here that I'm following down that I am just not going to be able to get back up from? And, and does it line up with God's word? Um, this is where apologetics is very important. I think there's a lot of good apologetics books and a lot of apologetics things on YouTube and everything to understand why the truth is the truth, while at the same time, the implications of saying and doing certain things, and to know this is a lifelong mission. This is not a, we figured it out in four years at seminary. This is not, I got a PhD, therefore I have it. But it is looking back, does this point me to Jesus? Or does this point me to myself or to others to save me? This is very much so a part of our world. And it comes down to what the devil said uh, to to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Mm, yes. Uh, or <laughs> or in else? the temptation narrative, if you are really the son of God, then you'll worship uh, me or you'll turn this stone into bread. Now, I think it's important that if we, uh, from the pulpit, really want our members to love other people, um, those that are not necessarily a part of the church or used to be a part of the church, that we really need to take a very wise, patient, and hope-filled approach. And so we, we, were, uh, we spent time in 2019 going through the Lassie, the uh, Everyone His Witness Bible mm -hmm. study, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. to listen, to ask, to get into the worldview, even if you don't agree with that worldview. Understand where people are coming from, because that's incarnational ministry, is to, is to, is to um, witness to people where they're at, and, and, and not to be adversarial in your faith or pompous in your faith, to take on that humility that was talked about earlier in our text, that patience that, that you have to have. And I said, so, you know, because we live in a world today where people are just talking at each other, but they're not, who's really listening? And mm -hmm. so I really challenge people, you know, if you run into somebody where you're like, wow, I don't agree with your lifestyle choices, or, you know, don't, don't stereotype them, don't put them in the box, love them by understanding where they're coming from, then you will gain that permission, so to speak, to speak the truth in love, and I think it'll be more likely better heard than if you become a debater of your faith. And this is important when we look at speaking the truth in love and to grow up in every way. Speak to us, uh, tell us a little bit about what do you see speaking the truth in love? We have about uh, four minutes left here, so let's, let's kind of move here. But I think speaking the truth in love is an important thing for us to remember. Well, who's the truth? Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. He describes himself emphatically as the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what is the very definition of love? God. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Those two factors. And then from there is, you know, how did Jesus speak to people? You know, and how did he show that love? How did he express that truth? And we become imitators of Christ. I believe, is that not coming up in uh, Ephesians 5? Uh, isn't that mm -hmm. where we're supposed to do our best imitation of Christ? You know, right. and what is it? Imitation's the best form of flattery? You know, but we mean this in a, in a Christ-like sense. And that means that, um, uh, it, what I, to continue from what I said before, we want to listen. We want to be quick to listen 
slow to speak and abounding in love, so that when we do, you know, speak the truth. And first of all, verse 15 is meant in a in a preaching sense uh, that we as preachers need to speak the truth in love. But certainly, these verses can be applied to the way Christians live their lives, speaking and living the truth in love to their their world that they live in. So for about a minute left here, Pastor, can you give us a summary of this chapter, the, the, the verses we went through today, and maybe some thoughts for the church today as well? What kind of house do you want to build? You know, because you have these strong foundational teachings of Christ and of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. You know, what's that house going to look like? What are those walls? Are you going to be like my dad when he built the house that my mom still lives in? My dad hasn't been around for nine years. Are you are you going to are you going to use thin walls? He used two by sixes. There isn't a creek in that house. You know, are you going to build it? Uh, you know, it's going to take a little longer. It's going to take a lot more patience. I remember when I helped them insulate the house. I said, Dad, this is a lot thicker insulation than I've seen in other houses. And he said, Yep, because I want to make sure that you know I do my part to make sure our house is sealed up. So we keep our heating costs low. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom that went into that. And I think so many times congregations want to take shortcuts in building that house of faith. And rather than take the time to build something strong that's going to withstand, well, what is it? The winds, the waves of life that were described mm-hmm. earlier. You know, uh, what did Jesus say? You know, when you build your house on the sand, what's going to happen? It's going to come down with a great crash. But when we as individuals and congregations build our house on the rock of Christ and then build that house with good materials that God gives us, it's amazing how we will be a refuge for other people when they're facing storms in life. And they're like, you know what? I want to go where that guy is up in that house. Built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, and Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone. Pastor Dan Eddy of Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin, joining us today to study Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor Eddy, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Pastor. Enjoyed it much. God bless you. Saints of our Lord, walk in a manner worthy of your calling as a child of the one God and Father of all. And he equips you for his work and joins us together with the saints so that the body is built up in love. God is at work. Saints, enjoy the ride. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.